welcome to another episode of Unconventional Ministry. I'm your host, Ron Stafford, and we are so glad you are there. Coming up today, part two of our program with Farah Saddam Marvel. Her father was a hired assassin for Yasser Arafat. You'll hear her story, how God changed her life, and how she became a part of a wonderful organization known as Hope for Ishmael. Her story and a whole lot more coming your way right now. But at the same time, I was being forced to go to church. So it was an interesting thing because I really got this juxtaposition of trying to figure out one belief and this other God. And But everyone kept telling me they're the same God. But I would constantly be going, I, I just don't see it. But I would still resist. And finally, um, it was about a year later, my youth pastor's wife, um, who was a huge part of our of everything. And I loved her dearly and respected her greatly. And she finally said, Pharaoh, can you just do me a favor and read the book of John? Mm -hmm. I was like, cause I was out of the Bible. <laughs> I was scared. I was like, listen to the words of it. And I knew there was power in it. And, um, I just, I was, you know, end up being a rebellious teenager, you know, and all of these other voices saying, well, it's just a book of rules and yada, yada, yada. And, um, so finally, I said, okay, because I love you and I respect you, I will. Mm. And I started reading the book of John, and like I couldn't control the tears every time my brother had given me this old, this King James Bible and all the letters of Jesus were in red. And every time I would read the red letters, I would cry. I knew that this was a living God. Mm. This wasn't a far off God that I had to. Um, figure out on a daily basis how to appease. I didn't have to say mechanical prayers over and over again to please him. I didn't, it wasn't a relationship like a rough king and his subjects. This was a God who lived among us and it was, I couldn't deny it anymore. And I accepted Christ there wow. at a youth conference. And, um, and you're how old you know, at this time? I was 16. Even I would like to say that after that, my dad and I, you know, skipped along kumbaya, but I actually walked in anger and bitterness toward him for many years mm. until I finally let God work on that part of my heart. And, um, and actually that was basically about the time that the Lord was calling out my dad to say, now's the time your ministry is going to start. Hope for Ishmael needs to happen. He sent my dad out on a journey to travel it this was like year 2000 he said go to the churches and tell them about the coming movement and immigration of the middle eastern world to the united states hmm. um and all that it brings with it go to the synagogues and make reconcile with the jewish people wow. apologize to them for the things that you did against them and go to the mosques and tell them of the true God. And this is right before 9-11 too. I can just imagine. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He actually, um, he actually was going to the churches and saying that something like this was going to happen. Huh. And many people just laughed him out and said, okay, sure. And then 9-11 happened and our phone started ringing like crazy. So he's, he's just basically was sharing his testimony um, about that moment seeing the light of Jesus and, um, you know, because we hear about the, the signs and wonders that God is doing in the Middle East and it's yeah. very, he's doing it there. He's doing it here to these people continue to do that until about 2005. Okay. And, and in that time I was 
I was in Kansas City working, and he, um, the Lord had already spoken into my heart about working with my parents full time at Hope First. Wow. And um, so we met, and um, because the Lord was telling my dad that he needed to go back, and at first he thought he that the Lord was talking about Doha, but he realized that that's not it. He needed home, home, the place of his birth, which is Gaza. So my role was to be here, continuing to, you know, let our our supporters know what was going on and, and just, you know, managing the organization right. while they were on the ground doing the work. And they were there for about a year. And when Hamas finally figured out who he was, because everybody would call him um, the people in the t- in the city that they lived in, in the town that they lived in in Gaza, would call him Abu Ben. They never called him by name. It took him a long time to figure out to make the connection in their mind of who this guy was and realize that he was a convert, that he was there under their nose. And that was the same year that um, the election happened where the the PLO lost control and Hamas was voted in. And so that really caused a lot of issues um, with just the people because the the area that they were living in was mostly um, Palestinian Authority uh, supported. There was a lot of um, division going on inside Gaza during that year and then the election happened and we know what's happened since then. Mm-hmm. While my parents were out um, fundraising to continue the work that they were doing there because they were realized the best way to reach the people and to build relationship was through um, schools and to start a school teaching English as a second language. So they had started school, they started a cultural center to talk about peace and reconciliation, you know, and do all of these things. They were out fundraising and they got the call that Hamas had figured out where they were inside Gaza. For an entire year, they couldn't find him. God had completely hid my parents from them. But for whatever reason, he lifted the veil. And um, one of our workers called my dad, your house, all your belongings are fire in the street. They've ransacked um, the uh, school and taken all the computers. They've taken everything. They've destroyed the building. They couldn't go back in to Gaza. That's when the Lord just redirected. And they prayed and redirected and planted in another area. What came out of that was what they realized was the best way to be able to have influence was not to be evangelistic in nature, but to go as humanitarian aid. Be a believing people and be Jesus to the people. That's what Jesus did. He would go into the town. He would heal, feed, and, and just love first. And then he would bring the message. Then he would talk in parables. If it's good for him, it should be it should be good for us, right? That's right. That's exactly so, right. And that's basically what we started doing. We rebuilt the school. We rebuilt, um, and then we started doing different projects just to meet the needs of the people in the area that they were that they serve. And um, and so we did wheelchair distributions. We had medical clinics. We started gathering churches that had medicals. You know people in their churches that were doctors and nurses and building tour teams that would come over and do a work with us and, and then do a tour of the Holy Land. Right. And um, and we still do that. We still promote that as a um, great way for churches to have, I call it, come to the living stones first, and mm. then you can go see the, the dead ones, <laughs> you know? Wow. Because the other thing, too, is, is the indigenous mm-hmm. church, the Arab Christian church is... Um, highly persecuted and needs the support of the West and needs to be encouraged to stay 
because they're leaving in droves because it's so hard. Yes. The, the, per- the persecution is so hard. And right. so that was another thing they felt called to do was find the, the Christians in the um, town that they planted in and start blessing them and helping them with their businesses, giving them loans and things like that to help rebuild their businesses. Because after the 2014 Intifada, um, there were areas of tourism that were really destroyed and they were trying to come back from. They weren't getting aid from the government like everyone else was. And so that's one of the things that he, um, my dad spent time going to Europe and different parts of the world, raising funds to say, you know, we need to support our, our people. Yes. It's a different place now yeah. because of the, um, the influence, yes. but really all that's happened and all that really is, is that we decided that that saying that everybody argues, whether it was a St. Francis of Assisi or a different saint, but the, the idea of preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, mm-hmm. You know, that's exactly what we do. Wow. Uh, you know, we preach the gospel with our action. The natural progression of that is the conversations. Exactly. So you're chief um, operating officer of Hope for Ishmael in the U.S. Where are your parents today? Where are they right now? Are they are they in Gaza reaching the lost or where? where... No. Okay. Um, actually, um, they were when they had been in um, the, the, the new area of where they were working for the past uh, almost 11 years. But one of the things that we did and wanted to make sure that we did was that we would raise up the, uh, the indigenous church to do the work okay. that if, because if the political climate would change at any moment, they wouldn't be able to be there. Exactly. Um, and so dad was, was smart enough to go, I'm going to take people from this, this city under my wing and build them up. And that's exactly what he did. And my parents, they'll probably kill me, but they're not young anymore. And they're, now they want to be home with their grandchildren and be closer to family. And they and they did it well because they were able to pass on the the work there to the people they raised up. Wow. And so just this in this last year, it's kind of been twofold because we've seen the political con- climate changing here in the United States. Yes. And we're starting to see the influences of Middle Eastern ideology starting to have more um, of an impact and kind of coming out of the shadows. That was kind of something that perked my dad's attention because he was like, okay, we've done this well here. The problem is, is the church in the, in the West has kind of fallen asleep to this. And, um, Maybe it's time for me to come home and start doing again what he told me to do in the beginning. Come back home to the U.S. Then, right? Wow. To the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And let me let me go back to the churches and say, look, we've done it in a closed area where you can't openly preach the gospel. Why are we not doing this here? We have millions of subcultures in this country that need to be reached, that need to be engaged. Yes. So why why is this not happening? And really what what we came to the, the understanding is, is they, they were like, well, we just don't know the nuances. We don't know how to reach, bridge that cultural gap. And um, and so my dad said, well, we do. <laughs> so let's let's start um, building a, a uh, training around our 20 years of experience on the ground, our own conversion experience. 
and start equipping the church to engage because we have huge population in this country that is not engaged, that has a lot of influence and is gaining influence and yes. it's set to grow exponentially in the next 10 years. Exactly. What's the current status of things over in the Middle East now as Hope for Ishmael is working with boots on the ground there? We ended up having to create the sister organization and it's not known there as Hope for Ishmael. Okay. The one thing is that we realized too is that Hope for Ishmael was a decided, decidedly kind of evangelical biblical reference yes. and that didn't, wasn't well received so um we actually created a a, a separate humanitarian non-religious 501c3 that okay. is working in the middle east okay and so it is known as something completely different um how has the impact been over there how is it how has it been received huge. okay um we have on any given right now we have a kindergarten we have a daycare a preschool um, a cultural center. We have 435 students. Um, and when you multiply that by families, that's thousands that are impacted on a daily basis wow. um, by um, teaching English as a second language. But we also have worked in what we call our core values. And our core values are biblical values. And so even though we can't preach the gospel, we sure can teach what the fruits of the Spirit is, the, the benefits of the fruits of the Spirit. Exactly. The spirit of God is still there um, in the people and the volunteers that come and work alongside our people. Because we also have volunteers from all over the world that come um, either long term or short term and, and are there working side by side with with our teachers. And um, our cultural center does an after school program because we were only able to develop a, a kindergarten up to age five. Right. Because if you go beyond that, you have to teach um, the the indigenous religion and we just agreed to disagree on that and said we just don't want to teach religion but recently we've been able to come to an agreement that that we can expand as long as we can choose our teacher we can still teach it but in a different manner interesting and um more informational rather than um in practice if that makes sense no it absolutely makes sense we've expanded okay um, we, we do wheelchair distributions every year. Um, we've partnered with Johnny Erickson Tata's. Oh, um, wonderful. I love her. She's great. We're all about collaboration with bringing in different organizations and helping to do different things. That's the, the, the wheelchair distribution it is huge. I mean, we have, we serve people all over the area and it's been transformational. Our organization is recognized by the government as being um, the best children's school in the area. That's just God. I mean, we've built relationships with the with government officials, and they've seen that we're real. That even though our belief systems may be different, we're still here to serve. We're exactly. here to love. Exactly. We're here to just do. And um, so it's been huge, and it's still it's still going. We're wanting to expand to the third and fourth grade, and um, eventually make our way up to twelfth grade. And um, you know, so we've got ideas and plans for expanding our buildings and um, all of those things. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, a couple of things. Um, the South Seven Connection, how did you first hear about us and what are your thoughts about what we're doing in the Middle East and as far as maybe a partnership? Just go into that briefly. If you... I knew about Sat Seven first because my husband was a supporter hmm. and before we were ever married. That was the interesting thing. Um, cool. And, you know, that's a whole other story in and of itself, how right. we met. But right. my husband's a former... Um, uh, he is an, actually a combat veteran, 
um, with the Marine Corps. Wow. And um, he spent time um, in uh, Iraq with Operation Iraqi Freedom. Hmm. And it was there that he realized that um, who, the, who the Middle Eastern people were. And it he started getting interested on how were they being reached. And that's how he found Sat7. Interesting. Um, he started looking up different organizations that were trying to get the gospel to the Middle East. And um, they were kind of the cutting edge of getting the gospel in through technology. That's how I've known them and the influence that they that I know that they have in uh, bringing the gospel to the Middle East. And I mean, I've met people who've said, yeah, I heard so-and-so on Sat7. Um, they're a broadcast in Egypt. And, you know, so. You've helped your dad write his two books. What are his two books so our listeners can get a copy of it? Absolutely. Um, the first one is Once an Arafat Man, Tass Sada is uh, his name. And um, the second one is The Mind of Terror. Both of those are available on Amazon. And you can get them at local bookstores. If they don't have them, you can request them. Yes. Um, but I'm pretty sure you can – I know for sure that they have them on Amazon. Okay. It's uh, uh, published by Tyndale. What have you actually learned in helping your dad write those books? The second one came out – was that fairly recently? The first one was 2008, and uh, Mind of Terror was like 2014. You know, the thing was is that when we were – it was actually in 2014 when my dad um, – kind of started seeing the tides turning in the U.S. and, and called me and said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get this in my prayer time. What do you think? This is something that has always been on my heart, was teaching the church how to bridge the gap, the cultural gap, to love their neighbors, their Middle Eastern neighbors, and really do teach them to do what the people in my church did with me because it's really not that mysterious. It seems like it is because social media and the news and all of that wants to paint this, this group of people as um, terrorists. And that's not it. We, we have to come together and realize that there's more about us that we are alike than different. Yes. And, um, and so when he approached me about even developing our um, lead with love program for hope for Israel and meaning in the churches, um, I, I was so excited because we're like, I knew this was what God want, what why He brought me back to working with them. Interesting. And um, so, actually, we're we're we'll be launching that program in the um, early first quarter of of 2020. Wow. And um, but the biggest thing is is that you don't have to have a ton of knowledge. You don't have to have you know know everything about the culture and all of those things. You just have to have a heart surrender to God to just build relationship. One misconception about Middle Eastern culture is that they're not relational. And that's totally not true. If you go to any Arab home, they will feed you, give you the shirt on their back. If you say, now that's pretty, you might be walking out with that. With the item, that's right. Commented on. That's right. You know, a lot of people, especially when the immigrants come to this country, they feel very isolated. And I feel like the reason why we've, we've now got such a separation is because the church has done a very, a very good job of pulling them in and integrating them into society, American society, and having that freedom to do and be as you are, yes. but also understand the respect for each other's belief systems and how we live together and be able to have those conversations about the gospel and agree to disagree, but love each other and share life together. Absolutely. Let them make that decision, you know, Absolutely. but be there, be available. But we've let the, the media of the world cut us off hmm. and 
make these preconceived ideas in our heads or even subconsciously build fear in us to not step out and, and go to my Middle Eastern next door neighbor and say, would you like to come over for dinner? Exactly. <laughs> you know, or let's have tea together and talk about politics or, or whatever, right. you know. This has been a wonderful conversation. Would you mind closing out our time today with a, a word of prayer to our Lord and Savior? And then we'll uh, give some contact information for uh, Hope for Ishmael. Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share my heart, to share the story of your goodness and your grace to come to my family and see all of us come to know you, Lord, that you pursued us so diligently, Lord God, and that you gave us your son, Lord. I just, I stand in awe of your goodness and your goodness to bring the vision for Sat7 into the founders' lives and and really just make it possible, Lord. They they started the, the technological outreach of the gospel, Lord, and and in such cutting edge ways, Lord, that we're really a lot of us are coming up behind them because of them starting the way. Father, that's because of you. That's because of your grace and your goodness. And Lord, I ask that you continue to bless that seven. I can ask that you continue to, to enlarge their coast, Lord God, enlarge their reach, Lord God, and bring about any way that we as Hope for Israel can partner with them um, in any way to help the further the kingdom. And, and bring the good news of your son, Lord. Um, just bless the people that work in and around Sat7, Lord, and um, just knit our hearts together as we love the people of the Middle East well, the way that you want to see them loved, Lord. Lord, that we would continue to be in work with you and not doing for you, but being there in the work with you, Lord, and surrender to your your call, Lord God. We bless you and thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What's the website, uh, Farah? Is it hopeforishmail.org? Or what, what's, yes. Okay. That is it, at hopeforishmail.org. Okay, excellent. And uh, are you looking, just, just, are there volunteers that you're looking for as far as maybe in the, in the Missouri area? Okay. Okay, Absolutely. We're, and honestly, because we are still, um, even though my parents are back here in the U.S. and yeah. we're kind of focusing here in the U.S., we're still looking for volunteers to help us with our boots on the ground in the Middle East. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so if there's anybody listening that has been feeling called and feeling that that push to um, to go to the Middle East, we would love to hear from them. Excellent. We would love to, to connect you to our sister organization and um, because we need volunteers. That's how the Spirit of God gets in there, Excellent. is through the volunteers. Excellent. Is there a direct email for you and, and a phone number that you can provide? Absolutely. My email is Farah at hopeforishmael.org, and my name is spelled Farah like Farah Fawcett, mm-hmm. F-A-R-A-H. And um, my phone number is 913-914-1299. That's our office number. If they just leave a message, we will get back because um, we're not always there, but sure. we definitely check it. Um, you know, we're also looking for people, even with Hope for Ishmael, that would be willing if they're if they're in the industry of um, social media management or you know ways in which we they want to you know volunteer or even you know donate some of their time um, to help us um, with some of our outreach opportunities and um, that would be great and people who are interested in hearing about lead with love and um, bringing us to their church to do the training we have an online platform that we can do it with live streaming and um, when it when it launches. So we're going to start um, scheduling those in the, in the coming months. So. 
Excellent. I would love to hear from them. Excellent. Farah Sada Marvel with Hope for Ishmael. Thank you so much for the time today. What a conversation. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Ron. That's going to do it for me, Ron Stafford. Thanking you very much for being right there. And remember, only with God's strength and God's help, you truly can make today a superb day and tomorrow even better. We'll chat again next time. We live in a changing world that offers more ways than ever to minister to others. SAT7 is changing how ministry is done by using cutting-edge technology. We beam age-old biblical truth through well-produced programs into living rooms. And by partnering with churches, we are able to overcome obstacles in communicating the gospel message around the world. We also offer web streaming, and our apps can be downloaded on various smart devices across the Middle East and North Africa. SAT7 allows the church in those regions of the world to make their claim to a biblical Christianity in a culturally relevant, appropriate, and positive way. In order for SAT7 to continue in this effort, we need support from listeners like you. Visit us online today at sat7usa.org unconventional. Again, that's sat7usa.org unconventional. Or call us at 866-744-7287. That's 866-744-7287.